to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaefel. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hey, Jeremy, how are you today? Good, buddy. It's been a, a nice week here in Seattle. It's been very sunny. And so we've been outside a lot and it was actually my daughter's birthday this week. So I feel older now that she's now two years uh, old and wow. we celebrated keeping her alive for two years and surviving. That. Which I'm sure you, you've probably forgotten by now what that felt like having the kids you had. Well, back in the day, you know, we had to do things. All, it was much harder, of course. Um, I, I, I tease, <laughs> but I am, I am amazed. All right. So my grandson is now 10 and a half months and the the stuff that they have at the house for him like like the swing right you press a button and the swing does you know it starts moving and it plays music i'm thinking man i had this thing you had a crank back in the day and the crank was so loud <laughs> that it when when it would stop you'd crank it it would wake up the baby so it's like why even have it i'm amazed at, at how technology has helped just day-to-day raising of children but then again parents are busier than than back in the day too so but enough about that stuff uh, yeah, no one wants to hear me complain about the good old days. Although the a month ago the good old days was better. Of course, guess what? I was on the road for three weeks, and now I've got a cold. So imagine that, right? So um, when you get home, you've caught it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's oh, unbelievable. So, but what are you gonna do? It's that's the life we lead. I had a great time in Germany though, and a great time in uh, in um, in London working with the with the team. So it's worth it. I'll suffer for a few days. No worries. So you got a brick, brick cold. That's you right. A brick cold home. Uh, yeah. Thank God I didn't to, give it to everybody to there. To Chicago. <laughs> well, it's okay to be. I'm I'm semi quarantined now, anyways. Right? There's no one at home except me and the wife, so it's probably <laughs> just as well. And so uh, the uh, you ha- you have a great show coming up this week, which is nice. But we we can do some catch up, I guess, on some Microsoft links. It it it, it amazes me sometimes. You know, we had the the SharePoint conference, and we had all the news out of the SharePoint group, and Build was just a month ago. But in going through the blogs blogosphere this this week, it's a bunch of Microsoft news again. You guys are just cranking it out on all cylinders. It's excellent to see. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. I I, I sometimes convinced that some PMs just hold stuff off so that. They can have their own announce cycle without the noise of build. But um, this this first one uh, from uh, Shiva Prakash, actually, he's a, one of our PMs in Bangalore um, that's a peer of mine, had had been working on something that has had tons of demand um, for obvious reasons, which is essentially that with a Microsoft Graph, if you're using an application permission consent to mailboxes with mail.read.all, essentially it gives you access to all mailboxes within that tenant and there was a lot of feedback from uh, developers on user voice and you know also partners that we have you know very close relationships with that they needed more granular way of doing that they loved the fact they could do it with application permissions and not have to have someone sign in on behalf you know sign in and use an on behalf of flow to access mailboxes and, and have tokens for each person that you store and refresh um, and so what they what they've done is they've allowed us to uh, access the graph to call mailboxes and use PowerShell commandlets on the admin side to restrict which mailboxes have access um, for that particular application ID that is consented. And so it gives you a nice way to granularly say which 
mailboxes can and can't be accessed with this application permission. So um, something that we know other workloads are also requesting, um, whether it's you know SharePoint or Teams. And so kind of traditionally, um, Exchange has always been one of the first to implement things like this, primarily because it's it's been around the longest on the graph and had you know a, a strong REST endpoint before before the other uh, workloads has. And so you can imagine in the future that other teams will follow suit with this kind of pattern of app only and kind of PowerShell to restrict what containers you have access to with the application only permission, which is awesome. Yes, long overdue. Well, maybe that's too strong to say, but uh, eagerly awaited uh, policy. I, I'm a little hesitant about the name of the PowerShell commandlets because it, it's it's new application access policy and you can imagine application access policy applies to, as you said, many workloads. So there might be some some collision on on PowerShell names there. But it's it's excellent stuff to see. And and you're right. What people really want is the, the group access to be a similar thing. Let me set up groups. So uh, and and I know that's going to be a long time coming because it's so many workloads. But this is great great pattern to see. And and. Uh, it, it certainly will make information security professionals a little bit more comfortable. So I'm not deploying an app and reading the CEO's emails, which which is always a trouble thing. So great to see. Good job. Yeah, and there's a ton of scenarios. I, I think the main one is like the leadership team. Well, we call it leadership team until it mics off. So, you know, there might be a scenario where, sure, everyone can have this on, but we're not going to allow anyone to have access to such a CEO or any of our CVPs or EVPs or VPs, like those would be off limits uh, for security reasons. And so with this scenario, this could now be done. Um, but, you know, honestly, the, there's still a ton of scenarios where, you know, having app-only access to mailboxes might make more sense through Microsoft Graph Data Connect, which we also GA to build as well, um, which is a different kind of data flow into Azure. And then you do kind of ML type Azure Databricks stuff on top of that data once it's pulled in. But, um, you know, the difference between Graph Data Connect and this kind of approach is that with the Graph API and not Data Connect, the Graph API is real time. So I can make a call to the graph and see what's in someone's inbox with this app only permission flow. Um, and it's going to show me what's in the inbox immediately, whereas Data Connect runs on a, a schedule and drops it all into Azure. And so you have to be reliant on the fact it's not real time. And so it really does depend on your design decision. But um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a cool feature. Um, the uh, uh, doing a webhook or a subscription on a mailbox is this part of this uh, fine grain permission? Because I can see that's another scenario too, where maybe I'm going to allow a, a webhook on on a subset of mailboxes and not all of them, right? So uh, I haven't had a chance to play with this yet, but uh, that would be another scenario I could see having having some benefit. Yeah. I mean, effectively, it's not going to allow you to do anything on a mailbox that isn't part of the collection of the ones that you grant it access to. And so you wouldn't be able to subscribe to that mailbox to uh, in the first first instance. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just pausing because I'm like, app only with webhooks. But no, it does. It does yeah. do that. So, um, so that's that's a cool thing that we announced. And um, obviously, you'll see a pattern of this moving forward with other workloads on Graph as well. And obviously, Exchange being the first one. And then the other thing uh, that we've been working on is uh, the Postman collections. And we, I mean I, um, where we've been getting, we've been tracking the usage. And the usage has actually been a bit lower than I expected, um, considering Graph Explorer is well in the 
I think 60,000 unique users using it a month now. Um, uh, the, the Postman stuff is in the low, low hundreds uh, at the moment. And so I've been working out ways of making sure that people are aware of it. So announcing it on here is one way. And we're actually going to put a dedicated page in the documentation for it under um, use the API. Um, but then the other aspect is, is that uh, I've had feedback that doing it through GitHub and import and export is is fine. But um, it is an overload because then if I make changes to the collection in GitHub, you then need to re-import the JSON file to get the updates. And so I've been working with the Postman team um, because there is a way that you can essentially have a share URL that uh, if you click on that link, it'll launch Postman and, and open the collection for you. But then if I make changes to the collection um, you'll instantly see those things happening because it's actually a sync that postman does to the shared collection um, so then that will be like the default way to go get this stuff going um, and then if you want to contribute back um, then you would have to do the import and export approach and then obviously submit a pr against the github repo and so i'm just trying to juggle through through that aspect um, and then the other bit of feedback that i'd had from the identity team themselves and I'm, I'm hearing from developers is like it, it does seem like with the environment variables storing the client id and secret and obviously storing username and password in the environment variables is fairly unsecure and in the readme we have in big letters that you know please don't use production accounts here and so we're just clearing up how we're going to handle authentication so that you know you auth once as a user or you auth once as an application and um, all of the requests will like borrow that token that you've you've done. Um, and so the way we do this right now is a few settings um, in the environment variables that um, it makes it very easy to jump in and configure those. Um, and I'm, unfortunately, there is no easy way for me to provide a config file for the, the uh, authentication setup that's native that allows you to do um, OAuth2 uh, just by right clicking on a request or a folder and clicking the authorization tab and so we're just working through how we're going to make that more streamlined as well um, you know because naturally we are seeing that people are using postman collections for prod stuff and so we want to make sure that people are doing the right thing and not kind of baking passwords into environment variables in postman because if you sign into postman um, those variables are available in the cloud and depending on how secure your postman credentials are or if you're using Google to sign in or Facebook to sign in and haven't got multi factor authentication then you know you're putting your stuff at risk so we're working through those things so just keep an eye on there's a tweet link I've put in the show notes uh, from a tweet that I did where I'm going to start having that discussion um, and, and get kind of feedback from people so this is just a shout out to follow along there and provide your feedback in the Twitter thread. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen my feedback yet, <laughs> but uh, I, I <laughs> probably I, not. The, yeah, so the I, I'm I find the Postman UI somewhat dense, and so I've been copying the links and pasting them into a, a SDK driven oh, test application. Yesterday. Yeah, so um, because with the new auth providers in the SDK, there is a username password provider and yes i've got my secrets in a secure place but i can then run things delegated which the postman collection can't do without you know setting up the 
the redirect URI, which I've also done in Postman too. But um, it, it, I love having the URLs in a list like that. It's just I'm not using Postman to execute them myself. But uh, it's good to see. I, I don't want to have to scroll through the huge, the huge table of contents in the graph docs. It's nice to have them all right there in, in Postman. Really quick, right click, copy the URL, and off I go. So. You, yeah, that's fair. You're not going to get telemetry on on my calls, but I'm certainly using it. But it's great stuff. The um, the it's funny because I'm just waiting for Daryl to screenshot your tweet and send it to me on Teams. We're yeah. like, ha ha, told you so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the handler stuff. So uh, I can't wait. Well, yeah. it's, it's good. Like it's great that you got you know you're so positive about the SDKs and the uh, the way that we're doing the the easy auth stuff. So um, yeah. Well, we haven't rolled it into production yet because it's kind of hard to rip out working code, but. But it certainly yeah. is. It, but again, I mean, there's value, of course, right? And I think there's value in, in understanding how how you would like us to call the graph. So that's yet another reason yep. to poke around with the SDKs is, is stuff. And, and I had to learn more about HTTP handlers and the whole H client HTTP client pipeline stuff. And now that, I've, now that I've learned that, I'm off doing all kinds of funky stuff that... That impresses the boss, and that's always good too. So, <laughs> yeah, Daryl is a mine of information. He has a lot of contacts across various parts of Microsoft, and like um, he was schooling me on um, the different ways that you can pass JSON and how inefficient some of the the uh, native .NET stuff is, and how we're working to kind of make that more optimized. So we really need to get him on the show um, to talk about this kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, if you haven't checked out the SDKs, we do now have the SDK snippets in the docs. Um, so I do a demo at most user groups now where in four minutes I go from file new project in Visual Studio to copy and pasting code out of docs um, to call graph APIs. So we've made it super easy now to kind of get started with the SDKs, both from an auth side um, and also from a, uh, calling the graph using the SDKs. You don't really have to know or put your Fluent hat on to make it work. Um, the sample snippets are just there. You can copy and paste and put in your code. Y yes, but there's one thing, and, that, and maybe I'm just a little behind on what I've seen, right? So if I, I get a snippet and I'm from the SDK, there's some assumptions that were made there about how the client, the, the graph service client was instantiated, right? And I don't, yeah, I don't remember a... a by the way, if you want to use these snippets, you should have this starter set of variables well, somewhere. Maybe it's is, there, but otherwise it is that's there. You're just not reading past the snippet. Okay. There's a, there's a sentence afterwards that links to here's the the link to the where you do the auth okay. snippets. And awesome. This is the yeah. snippet you have to use as well as the actual operation, like get my messages yeah. snippet. Yeah. Well, as I just mentioned, I use the Postman collection to get my URL. <laughs> so I, you're right; I haven't read the docs that much, but well, that's great to see. I mean, that that that's excellent yeah. stuff, right? And so, um, one of the news items that I saw this week was that the Office UI Fabric team has released Fabric Seven, and then uh, just as a little teaser, not the show that you're listening to now, but our next show, we talked to Stefan Bauer about a little bit about some fabricy stuff. So stuff's coming, but there's a new version of the Office UI Fabric. React uh, library that's using the new Fluent design by default, and uh, they've also bumped the ver dependency versions to React to 16.8.1 and TypeScript to a minimum of 3.3, but they're recommending 3.5. So the, that combined with the Rush Deck compiler addition to the SPFX generator would let most people doing Office UI Fabric-y things use the latest and greatest. So that's all good stuff and 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 there also is a a page that talks about migrating from the old versions and moving forward 
And that's about as much as I can talk about UI Fabric. A lot of that reactive stuff is kind of <laughs> beyond my capabilities, but they're moving forward. They're getting the Fluent stuff rolled in there, and if you want your app to look like the rest of the Office suite, it's certainly something you're paying attention to. So good to see that stuff moving forward. Yeah, that team's trucking at the moment, and it's nice to see them working closely with Nicola on the Graph Toolkit stuff, which we talk about in this uh, interviews, like in the future too. Um, but yeah, there's a. It, they had questions about why well, there's these conflicting things, but no, there's actually a ton of work going on um, to make sure that there is a clear uh, path for Microsoft Graph Toolkit and Office UI Fabric and uh, you know everything else that we're doing around the kind of control space. So yeah, definitely uh, go check out Fabric. It's it's actually a very easy way to make your applications look and feel like. Microsoft applications, which at the end of the day is going to make users happy because they don't have that cognitive overload of having to learn a bunch of different things. Yeah. Now, if we can just get... No, I'm just I'm teasing. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, another news item I found is uh, up from the Identity Platform Group. msal.net is at 4.0 which is you know soon on the heels after the the big announcement of the the 3.x that came out at build but the big news here is that ADFS 2019 support is included so for a lot of enterprises that's a big deal right if i am using ADFS in 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 a hybrid environment and then there's also a couple of other improvements. Um, uh, another big one for developers, of course, is the uh, asynchronous token serialization. So uh, you can make an async call now to store the token cache if that's what you're doing. Although um, with latest improvements, there's less of a need to do that as well. And then there's some improvements on uh, the .NET Core token acquisition bits in there. Uh, and that, we'll post a link to this announcement on there that goes off onto that. But another thing relevant to our users is that a, a change that they made improves the experience that Brian Jacket talked about, right? That so you said the you, there's an update to the the Brian Jacket series, right? Yeah. So the 30 Days of Graph series, which is on our Microsoft Graph blog, um, it's 30 blogs in 30 days, um, is basically he went through and updated the sample that you built as part of that 30 day series to support. 4.00 he'd actually had this blog post staged for 3.08 which was what we announced at build and um he submitted it for me for review and literally that morning the blog post came out for 4.0 and i was like brian i'm really sorry but can you update this to 4.0 and not 3.0 um and so he did that and it wasn't there wasn't a major jump between 3.0.8 and 4 for that particular project other than the fact that um previously there was only a compiler warning in v3 if you're using um the uh, it was the public and confidential client applications and what that meant was at runtime you'd actually get an exception and so now in v4 they actually throw a compiler error uh, to let you know that you know you shouldn't be using those anymore and that there's a, a better approach to that um which is i, I I'm not sure why they didn't do that in V3. Um, but um, yeah, it's good to actually have that caught at the developer stage of compiling as opposed to at runtime. So that, that was the only thing that he kind of noted in there. And so the .NET Core console sample that you build as part of that series now, um, which was built using msl.net v2, is now up to the v4, which is obviously a generally available 
authentication library to get access tokens, which you know is what we encourage you to do as a developer um, when you're using Microsoft Graph across .NET, JavaScript, um, and there's others coming for iOS and Android and Java um, very, very soon. Yeah, so I, the, um, I ran into that, that uh, runtime exception as well, and I'm sure it was just a, an oversight, uh, which happens, but glad it's resolved. And, and again, I'm, as I mentioned, I'm kicking the tires on the SDK and the auth provider, which uses MSAL under the covers, and it's, it's much simpler. It's easy. Auth is easy. Well, it's always been easy, but uh, it certainly is making it for, uh, for the masses to get in there. So good to see good to see yeah and i think the builder approach is a bit better in terms of the way they're going so rather than kind of doing a you know var cca equals new confidential client application they're doing a confidential client application builder.create um and it just makes it a bit cleaner and allows them to be a bit more extensible with the way the code runs in the future so it's not if they want to add an additional um uh, parameter in parameter to the 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 new up it would break your code, whereas in this, or you'd have multiple ways of doing it. Whereas with the builder, they basically have dot with authority, dot with redirect URL, dot with client secret, so they can add things to the builder that doesn't break your code, but you can go use them afterwards. Well, and it also it also kind of cleans up the IntelliSense on the right, back in the day. You do the do and you open the parentheses and you'd get like seventeen choices to pick. Mm-hmm. Which constructor do I want? Which was always yeah always confusing so it took it, and i the, think that's the, why they've done it yeah, yeah. the the fluent the the c-sharp community is calling this the fluent approach to to building things so okay. uh yeah which yeah right why, why use a new word when we have one that means something else we could just reuse it right <laughs> yeah that's true exactly. and yeah. I, I, the, I mean it is overwhelming you see like 18 different overrides for newing yeah. up a, a, a class so the builder the building approach definitely makes it a lot easier so i think i think that was a justification for doing it and um I think a lot of feedback I've had is, well, hang on a minute, you had just GA'd 3.08 and now there's four a month later. Like, what's going on? Why didn't they do that uh, build? And, um, you know, this has been a journey for the MSL team and um, they knew when they GA'd 3.08 that there was going to be additional things that they want to get in it. Um, and they decided that this was a good time to draw a line in the sand and ship four. Uh, and, and, you know, you'll expect other versions to come out in the future as well. Um, and you know the reason this isn't a 3.0.9 is because they um, you know understood that there was some things in here that were um, breaking changes they wanted to make sure that people were aware of and so they versioned it like all NuGet packages are versioned um, in the .NET world and and incremented that to v4 so just to defend that team because I went at them and was like oh my god this is going to confuse developers and then immediately tweet storm started and certain people who may be hosts on other podcasts also kind of were um, giving me feedback as well. So, AC. Uh, and, <laughs> and so, yeah, going and getting the explanation, it was essentially, I think they, did, they definitely did the right thing. But um, the initial knee-jerk reactions will always be, wow, that was so close off the yeah, I, Well, yeah, I hope it's not the same people who are saying, where where's the update? Where's the updates, right? I mean, because there was a, mm-hmm. a dark period. So let's just... There was a... yeah yeah so if you're if you're building in the cloud you you really just need to put a task in your diary and say every month every whatever i need to look at things and i might need to rev my code or see what's new or just that's just listen that's just to it is, this yeah. podcast that's wow. the other way wow that's a great idea 
But although we're preaching <laughs> to the choir because people listening are already listening. That's true. So, yeah. What, so, you mean yeah. our parents and family relatives? Yeah, yeah. Probably your grandson is giving us a, 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 view, a view or two. <laughs> and then actually, last one was uh, with Wardek Mastercards, who um, he... We've had him on the show a long time ago, I think, even yeah. pre pre Paul yes. co-host days. Yeah, um, we should we should really get him on the show, um, and he's always on the PMP stuff with Vesa, so you, you probably hear him a lot if you're a SharePoint developer anyway. But uh, he wrote a post just recently on to REST or to SDK, which caused you know a little bit of debate internally between myself, Daryl, and a few others on. You know, like, okay, we, we need to get sharp on what the value is of an SDK versus just doing direct REST calls. Wardeck does a really good job of, like, kind of doing that balance of one versus the other. And so if it is something that you guys are discussing within a team and you're making a decision on whether you want to use the SDKs or whether you're going to use REST, um, I would definitely check out Wardeck's blog post. And um, then Daryl is going to come on the show a little bit to talk in more detail about this. And, and kind of give a balanced opinion of, you know, why he thinks SDKs is right. Obviously, he owns the SDKs for the graph. Um, and it will be nice to have Paul on the show um, because, obviously, we've had lots of to and throw around SDKs as well. So, um, But I just thought having Wardex post for this one, for you guys to have a read of, was, um, is super useful. And if you're not already subscribed to his RSS, he would, he would be in the top five Microsoft 365 dev blog posts that, or blogs uh, that I I personally follow as a high priority that I will read as soon as they come out. Yeah, and Waldeck has been around for a while, like like us, and and I can remember when Waldeck first announced he was he was having a baby. His time he was having a baby, and I and I was in a group of people, and we all thought, well, all those all that prolific blogging of his is going to stop, right? You have to spend time and with the kids. It hasn't. But it has not. No, the the the, the guy is incredible. He's one of my, he he is my favorite SharePoint developer of all time. So yeah, uh, yeah we should we should get him. Uh, Get him on this as well. Find time to pry him was, away from Vesa. Oh, Vesa's gone for a month, uh, the summer break, so we, he might have some right. free words in in his brain. Yeah, that's true. We can so. take advantage of PMP, <laughs> PMP hiatus, vid, hiatus and, and get all the PMP guys on the podcast. <laughs> Although so. they probably want the hiatus as well. Uh, that's yeah, more could to be. the point. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so uh, uh, this week um, you're back in Redmond and, and found a guest. So uh, why don't you give us a little preview of what the, this week's session, uh, interview is about? Yeah, so um, we always get questions around like, hey, when's Dynamics going to be on the graph? And um, it was great at Build to it. Well, prior to Build, actually, it was more like April timeframes. Um, the Dynamics Business Central, uh, which is a one of the four major uh, Dynamics uh products in that in this kind of space and uh jared hall was in town for a variety of different things in redmond and as you'll hear he's he's not from um redmond he, he works remotely from another one of the microsoft offices and uh we were doing some videos for the documentation and i asked if he had time to do a podcast and he humbly agreed and um it's a really good show i um i learned a lot i i knew what business central was and i kind of had the background on uh Navision or nav and how this played into it but um this is an awesome podcast just to get people up to speed on what this is and um it for you know microsoft 365 developers that 
have customers that are playing in this space, this is a great opportunity to kind of take your graph knowledge and, and bring it to yet another Microsoft product and feel confident that you'll know how to call the APIs because it's just a graph like you do with mail and calendar and contacts and files. So, um, yeah, enjoy the show and uh, we'll see you all next week. Wait, wait. Okay, so I'm here in a windowless office in Building 25 when it's beautiful <laughs> and sunny outside. So thank you so much for joining me today, Jared. Thanks for having me. So um, I, we're in, you're in town, I'm in town, I'm always in town. Um, you're in town on business for a few events and we've been in the video studios this morning recording yeah. some stuff. But um, I was like, it'd be great if we can get you on a podcast. Yeah, so it's been a great opportunity. So I'm, I'm based in Fargo, North Dakota, and since I'm in Redmond for the week, uh, great opportunity to chat with you about the, our Graph APIs. I was kind of really excited to hear more of the Fargo, North Good Dakota accent come through. And it's <laughs> yours. Are you originally from there? Because it's quite neutral, your accent. I, I've been there most of my life. Wow, uh, about okay. 30 years. Uh, yeah, sorry to disappoint. I can, I can throw in some accent <laughs> yeah, if you, you need me like, to. When, yeah. when, when we're not least expecting it, yeah, Steve yeah. Anderson, who's our API architect yep. who, um, you worked with, yep. he's from the area too. And his is a little bit more obvious that he's mm-hmm. from that area, but um, oh, not yash, like yash, the yash, TV you show and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he knows when to put it on just to kind of make the accent work in his favor. Yeah. Um, and so you work in the Business Central team. Yes, so yeah, I'm on the Microsoft Dynamics 365 Business Central team. So it's part of the Dynamics 365 uh, family of business applications. Uh, and Business Central is the it's the cloud ERP system that's geared towards the small and mid-sized business. Yeah. Uh, and ERP for for those who may not be familiar, it's your your just financial business uh, all-encompassing. Uh, application that covers the the range of your business functionality. Uh, So it's your financials, general ledger, uh, receivables, your payables, your fixed assets, your manufacturing, uh, project management, all all that gets tracked in this financial system. And and the functionality is uh, geared towards uh, smaller than the, we have other products that are geared towards the enterprise and we go towards the business central is that small to mid-sized business. And so we were talking a bit beforehand, but how long have you been at Microsoft and how long have you been in this team? Uh, I've been uh, at Microsoft for about 12 and a half years. I've been on this team in particular for uh, eight and a half years, just over eight years, uh, and loving every minute of it. And and how long have you been working with the the developers with this product? Is this a fairly new move for you or have you been doing this for a while? Uh, You're talking about the larger development community? Yeah, just in terms of like kind of being part of the API on... Oh, that's that's a good question. And so, as as program managers on Business Central, we move around quite a bit. So, I've uh, when I first started, I was focused on the core financials and building out functionality of the core financial product, uh, that including fixed assets. I've done workflow, uh, doing workflow approval systems uh, and other uh, things around that. I've done office integrations, but it's just recently. Uh, and by recently, I mean the last two years or so that we've started working on building out an API library and getting that published in the Microsoft Graph. I guess being a PM on like core parts of the product and now being asked to kind of look after the API design is super useful in terms of really knowing the product inside <laughs> out and not just going, here's, here's the things we yeah, want to expose. Yeah, a- absolutely. Um, and that's, uh, that's a challenge is you need to know 
what's the application being used for and what are those scenarios where a developer is going to try to build on top of that. Um, and actually, we were talking a little beforehand on how we built out the design of our APIs. Mm -hmm. uh, when we originally built out the, the APIs, uh, we didn't build out the full set of properties of our, of our entire application. Uh, so for example, our, our customer's API has, I believe it's about 30 properties uh, in that entity. Uh, but if you look at the application itself and look at the database and the schema, there's over 130 properties there. And so as we published these APIs in the graph, and we wanted to introduce ourselves to the greater graph developer community, uh, we didn't want to overwhelm. Mm -hmm. uh, so we pared it down to key uh, specific scenarios um, and, and tried to make that uh, a streamlined experience for development, something that's easily understood. Um, and then as, as we work through it, we're going to try to get feedback from those developers who are using those APIs and then build out and add additional properties as we go. So the product's been around for a long while now. Assuming you've been in the product for eight years, it's been around for a little longer than that. Were there APIs before the Microsoft Graph? Like, what did you have an ecosystem play prior to being on the Microsoft Graph? Yeah, we, so we had web services. Uh, and actually, when you say the product has been around, uh, the, the product is based on... Uh, what was originally known as Navision, which became uh, Dynamics NAV, which became, as it, as, as it has progressed in its marketing and product names, uh, is now Dynamics 365 Business Central. Uh, so over its 35-year history, it's uh, gone with different names and had different methods for developing, uh, developing integrations and uh, extensions on top of it. Uh, so something that's been around in the product for a long time, long before I uh, joined the team, has been the ability to create an OData web service. Right. Uh, so a, any developer can say, I want to build a build an application that uses a customer, and I want it to have these properties, and they can go into a web services page and with a few clicks create a, a web service that uses that uh, entity that's specific to what they're looking for. And, and that functionality still exists. What we were looking for with our graph APIs was a standard set of APIs that has a contract. Uh, so that's that's the, the difference there is mm -hmm. it's published, it's versioned, and any developer can come to this documented API and start building on top of it. Uh, and they know that it's not gonna change out from underneath them in the next version uh, right, without, right. It, without it being versioned. So that's something that we knew we needed and it's something that Graph makes it uh, really easy to do. And like from the videos we were just recording in the studio, that UI didn't look 35 years old. So oh, no. <laughs> the product in general has been on a journey of moving into the cloud and I'm guessing getting more than just a bit of lipstick on a pig to borrow oh, yeah. a phrase. Like there's a full UI rewrite at some point. Yep. So we, we've uh, had a web client for a while because uh, traditionally it was, a, it was a Windows client, right. a role tailor client that uh, you'd run on your desktop. Uh, and we're, we're now moving away from that as we go into the cloud. Uh, so the, the web client is going to be our primary UI for the application. So we've, we've had a web client for a few years, but it's uh, it's been getting overhauled and it's been been getting cleaned up. Functionality is added, uh, and that's one of our uh, that's one of our core priorities right now is making sure that you can do in a web client uh, everything and more that you can do in a role tailored client or desktop client um, on Windows, um, because that's that's where future's going. With and these cloud applications. Were there, what were the motivations to be on the Microsoft Graph uh, as opposed to like doing your own API like you've done with the current web services you have? Like, were there certain benefits you thought you'd be getting by playing in that space? Yeah, uh, and there, there are a couple that we were specifically looking to get. Um, and, and actually, we do. We, we first built out our own API, uh, API.businesscentral.com. 
www.dynamics.com. And that, that's where we started uh, this journey of having a published mm-hmm. endpoint. But we realized that Graph provides other opportunities. Yeah. And we wanted to be in that developer community. So that's one is there's a, there's a larger developer community that's building apps. And we wanted to be in, inside that and working with you know, your team uh, and the rest of the team of, of Microsoft of making sure that the data that we have in our platform works well with the rest of the Microsoft platform. Uh, so that was that's one reason. Um, the other one is th- just those cross cross product apps. Uh, Microsoft has a lot of APIs in the graph. Uh, mm-hmm. There are a lot of products that work well, and there are opportunities for building those cross product uh, applications. So we have like a scenario might be where you have uh, you want to build a business application that looks up your customers, uh, finds customers with an overdue balance, and that pulls from our business central application. And you want to send them an email through the Exchange APIs, and you want to pull a, pull an image from OneDrive, and you want to use a Word template to fill out a, a collections form, and you want to attach all that and send it in an email through Outlook. So there, there, it really opens up scenarios like this where we can use our data and make it work well with the rest of the Microsoft stack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a single story for the devs. Yeah. It's great to hear that because, you know, obviously we tout that a lot as like the value externally. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's nice to hear workloads such as yourself coming in and being being part of that kind of graph experience as well. Yeah. Being in the family, basically. <laughs> like a Russian mob going on now. Um, and so a, a, a lot of people are interested, and I'm going to peg in a little bit on this, is w- what's that process? Like you, you have... Those web servers, which is, seem like they're more tailored to an individual one-off for a customer to use. And you said you'd had that mm-hmm. first go at releasing your your own endpoint, and then you kind of evolved into snapping in and being part of the graph. How did you get, you know, what was the process for you to get to that point of having something on the graph? Uh, it, was, it was actually a, a fairly long involved process. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was actually good for us in the long run. Uh, we had We ran into a few issues here and there where we thought we had the right design and just had to re- rework. So it took a little longer than we expected to, but overall, um, the the process from going from these web services, uh, which were just OData web services mm-hmm. that you can connect to, uh, when we created our own library, um, one of the key things that we were looking at is building out additional platform functionality. Like we added uh, the ability for deep inserts and expand uh, support and webhooks. Uh, because as, as we're looking at a at an API library that's going to be used by a larger developer community, there were certain pieces that were missing missing that you wouldn't get from just a, a generic web, uh, OData web service. Uh, so we spent quite a bit of time building out our platform and working with the graph team helped us quite a bit. Because there are, you know, there's REST API guidelines and the, uh, that Microsoft follows, and so working with the Graph team and working with uh, w- working with review uh, people who really know these APIs, and uh, making sure that what we were building was going to work with the, gres- uh, the greater developer community and the rest of the Microsoft stack was really a help for us. Yeah, it's interesting. I think a lot of people just think, oh, the graph, it's just, you know, team comes along, can we put this on there? Sure, here's no. some endpoints and, <laughs> and suddenly it's lit up. But Yeah, and I think when we first started the journey, that that was our impression because we were just going to walk in with our API library and drop it in the graph. Yeah. But, uh, no, that's that's not the case. Are um, there any kind of like obvious ones that you can talk talk to <laughs> of like an example of where there was like a an API rule that meant that you know there was work you had to go do to reshape the API. Uh, a couple of them that, that that were helpful is in our core product we didn't have a single ID property that identified every entity. Uh, so 
Th th and that was one where a REST API guideline says get a single entity mm -hmm. uh, or a single property within that entity that identifies it. Um, so we had multi-part keys on some of ours. Oh, that's right. I remember working with the RP systems yep. in the past. Yeah, <clears throat> and that was one that, uh, that we didn't realize until later on uh, in the process that our multi-part keys weren't going to work. So we have some uh, some of our APIs aren't in the graph yet that we're still working to uh, remove those multi-part keys and just use a single uh, string property that identifies it as a as a primary key. Right. Uh, so that's that's one where it's just streamlining that design and making sure that the design of your API matches what the rest of the APIs look like. Huh. And that would have meant, if I'm putting my dev hat on, like you'd have to go and have individual GUIDs inside of your own <coughs> database stores in the back end of the product or? Yeah, so that, that's what we had to do. And uh, originally, and, and that's that was one of the challenges that we had is we originally thought GUID and went with GUID as our as our identifier. Yeah. Uh, but later the the standards as we were working with the graph team said, no, it's got to be a string. So we after we had added GUIDs to everything, we had to go back and change it to string. So And that's actually one of the unique things that you'll see in our beta API is that all our IDs look like GUIDs, but you have to put single quotes around it because right. it's actually a string. Yeah. And that's something that we'll fix in our V1.0, but for now, uh, that that's that was the reason for that, is originally we thought it was a GUID, then it's a string, and so we just had a quick fix to, to get it to work in beta and get it out. Yeah, but the, so the onboarding team is, on. is always learning like what thing, how to articulate things in a way where it's just, you know, for all the rules and documentation there, there's a good reason for it, for things like that that go on as yep. part of this process, right? Yep. Yeah, so we got stuck in, in the middle of some of that. Uh, yeah. But w once we finally got our APIs published, it was pretty exciting to see it out there. And so um, how long have you been in beta for? Like, obviously, we're in June now. Uh, it's been about uh, four months that we've been published in yep. beta. Uh, so we're, we're excited to see what, uh, what things people will build on. Uh, our plan is to get to... Uh, for for our October release of the application, we'd like to get to V1. Okay. Uh, so that's the the goal that we have. So landing around the ignite timing, quite convenient. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see what we can do. It's, it's always difficult to guarantee a landing, but uh, yeah. that that's the that's our target. And in terms of like your, I mean, say your world, but I guess um, you know, like SharePoint has its own world where it has a momentum around its SharePoint conference, and mm -hmm. um, there's various other uh, the security APIs have their own RSA conferences and so forth. Is there some kind of like cycling that you have to do around different events that you have around the audience from a customer base? Yeah, and for us, uh, we're very uh, we're very developer and partner company focused right. uh, for for business applications. Uh, so our conferences are traditionally just partner companies. Uh, right. So the big conferences that we uh, look at are in uh, uh, early spring and fall. Uh, is with the, the two big ones that we look at. One's in North America and one is in Europe. And that's that's where our releases are, is in spring and fall, mm -hmm. and or autumn, or depending on what part of the world you're in. <laughs> uh, uh, April, October, <laughs> however you want to define those. Uh, but those are, the, those are the conferences where we try to get our functionality available so then we can start advertising with our key partners and they can start working with their customers to to get things working. And so in terms of the objects that are available, for, like most of our listeners are in the M365 world where they're using our mail APIs and our OneDrive APIs for mm -hmm. files and um, calendar APIs and so forth. What kind of 
objects that you have in the graph that might be relevant to people that are listening here that they have customers that are, are using NAV and not realizing that they're actually using um, you know, Business Central and so forth to do this. Yeah, so so you're wondering more around what kind of what kind of entities do we have? Yeah, that's right. Like the resource objects that you would see if you started poking around in Graph Explorer or yeah, in if, Postman. if you start poking around in uh, in Graph Explorer, and actually I'd direct you to the documentation. The, the Graph team has really good documentation on what APIs are available. Uh, but the ones that we have, uh, we only have about thirty a- APIs now, uh, which for the number of entities that are in uh, business application, that's kind of a, a small subset mm-hmm. uh, of what you'd be looking at if if we were to expose everything. Um, but we, we first targeted some key scenarios. So you have your customer entity and you have your vendors and you have uh, general ledger accounts, uh, general ledger transactions, um, and, and some supporting entities as well. So if, if I'm going to be using customer, then I also have to see uh, tax groups and currencies and uh, anything that I would need to, to reasonably create a good uh, app on top of a for a customer, uh, all the supporting entities that go along with that. Uh, so we targeted those key ones, and then uh, some transaction entities, and also we're working on building out uh, reporting entities. Uh, so we have right now our aged um, aged accounts receivable, aged accounts payable, our two uh, we have trial balance report, uh, but also uh, a couple others that are. Uh, working through getting into beta, uh, we're almost there, are, are things like your income statement and your um, cash flow state, statement of cash flows. So some of those key reports that you would need as uh, if you're building out a financial dashboard, for example, of being able to quickly query that information and have those things calculated for you without having to you know, look directly at your general ledger and code all the calculations yourself, we expose those through a query uh, through a REST API endpoint that, that lets you do all that uh, straight from a graph endpoint. So for the developers that are cycling right now, like Juan or um, people I know that drive and listen to this show, <laughs> they're, they're noodling right now on business opportunities. What types of scenarios are you seeing? Like I, I immediately jump to um, some kind of like dashboard that will just kind of show the data that's stored there in a certain way for maybe a particular vertical within SMB or mid-market. But are there particular like, I mean, everyone seems to leap to provisioning, and you know, you were talking about setting up business apps on top of that and, mm-hmm. and using it as a framing. But are there particular canonical examples that you see that partners are looking into? Yeah, and you, you jump to dashboards, and that's one where I, I, I think there's there's good opportunity because everybody needs dashboards. Yeah, uh, Microsoft. Um, provides a lot of dashboard applications uh, like every account uses Excel mm-hmm. and it's really easy to use uh, REST API endpoints in Excel. Or you just call that in, it pulls your data and suddenly you've got a dashboard. Uh, there's Power BI. So uh, that, that lets you really quickly and easily connect to endpoints and and build out a dashboard. So that's, that's one where uh, from a developer, uh, work with your customers and see what do they need. Uh, is there something that Microsoft already provides that can give you that dashboard? If not, yeah build that dashboard application using graph endpoints because the, the data is there. Um, and you want to be able to surface that data in a way that makes sense for your customers. Uh, so that's that's one option. Uh, but I think the the biggest thing is every business is different. Every business has yeah. specific needs. Uh, they're in their own vertical, they're in their own industry, and there's industry-specific functionality that they need that we at Microsoft building a business application, we're not going to be able to predict every piece of functionality that you need. So if there's an app that your customers need, 
uh, and you want to build a Connect app based on some APIs, um, I, I think there's a big opportunity there that it makes it quick and easy. Well, it's it, as easy as it is with a development environment on top of a, a standard set of, of Microsoft Graph endpoints to build that app and release it for your customers to start using. And you mentioned your when you were moving to the Graph, you had webhooks. And so do you have webhooks and deltas and stuff already on the API surface? Or Yes. Yep. So, so we've uh, delta tokens. We have delta token support. We have webhooks. Uh, the, the deep inserts was a big one in expand. Uh, we worked uh, quite a bit on performance. Uh, so there's a lot of things at a platform level that we uh, added to make to make it an easier experience and yeah. make it a, a good experience for developers to build these apps. And can you give an example of a deep insert? You said it twice now, and I was like, oh, I'm oh, intrigued yeah. on the whole deep <laughs> insert thing. Because I'm assuming you must be one of the first ones on Graph doing this, because I hadn't heard of that construct before on the Graph. Yeah, so so deep inserts, I, I don't know that it makes sense for a lot of other applications, but it yeah. does for business applications because it's uh, inserting records that uh, of related entities. So the, the example that we uh, have enabled it for um, are on, on transactions uh, yeah. primarily. That I have a sales invoice, uh, and actually sales invoice is one of those entities that's coming soon. We don't have it in graph beta yet, but it's it's coming soon. But when we do, the the scenario there is um, it's a it's a header and lines type entity that I have an invoice. It has a customer. It has a due date. It has a transaction date. Uh, but then there are multiple lines. Uh, so if if I have if I'm selling Know, chairs and tables and desks, those are going to be three lines on that invoice. Right. So I have multiple related line entities associated with the overall invoice. Uh, and, and the the challenge that we had originally was that you would insert the header record, and then I'd have to do another call to insert the first line, another call to do the second line, another mm-hmm. call to do And if you're doing a, a lot of invoices, that's a lot of calls to get a lot of lines into a single invoice. So the I- enabling deep inserts lets you do all of that. You uh, create the invoice, put the data there, and add as many lines to it as you need to with a deep insert all in a single call. That's really cool. And then the, the, the expand is the other side of that. If you do the, the dollar expand on getting that record, you don't have to get the... Uh, you don't have to get the header and then go get a line and then get a line and then get a line and aggregate all of it. You just do a, a single... Know, dollar expand, uh, sales invoices, sales invoice lines, and it pulls back all of that data all in one uh, one call. That's really cool. I'm literally going to make a note to go ask Daryl what that would look like in our SDK. <laughs> so I wonder if he's catered for that already. So the benefit is, is Daryl is on our API Council review mm-hmm. board as well as being the owner of the SDK. So we have a nice crossover there. But uh, yeah, intriguing to see how that works. Shout out to Daryl. Uh, when we first started this journey, uh, his his experience because he has experience in business applications, and so he his, does. Yeah. His uh, guidance and recommendations early on were a big help for us. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. He's forever teaching me. I actually, was having that same discussion this morning around like there are often very times at least once a day where I feel stupid around Daryl because of stuff he says it's like still a lot to learn but um okay so then with with all those entities like that um how did you feel like the scenario is that you would be building a product that you would be bringing the customer in to use central um as a net new thing or do you feel like there's more opportunity in talking to existing customers that are using Business Central and then putting something on top? Uh, I, I think there's both. I think there's there, there's opportunities there. I think developers who are 
looking for a business application to build their apps for, uh, Business Central is a great option for them. Yeah. So if you have customers that are looking uh, and you want to build a build an app that's specific functionality and don't have a platform for it, mm-hmm. consider Business Central. Take a look at it. Uh, it's uh, businesscentral.dynamics.com is the place to go. Uh, you can sign up for a free trial tenant, so get 30 days to play around with it, see what you want to do. And once you've signed up for that trial tenant, you have you, you light up the graph endpoints for it. So then go try Graph Explorer and hit those endpoints and see uh, with that demo data what it looks like uh, and just play around with it and see. Um, but then yeah, once you're familiar with that and you think maybe this is maybe this is something that would work for my customers, uh, I need to build an app that's specific and this is the platform that would work, uh, I, I think it's a great option. Yeah, it's interesting because I think a lot of people like Microsoft have lots of platforms internally within the company and yep. my world is was SharePoint and I still can't escape it so hard uh, being in the graph <laughs> team being this is our top API calls um, but often people start with SharePoint but you look at something like this and you know it's purposely built for this type of application within an organization yeah it makes way more sense doing it in this platform than it would be trying to do that in SharePoint with a bunch of SharePoint lists and essentially building that business model and the domain model that is there straight away when you sign up for Central. Yeah, the the data model's there. Yeah, uh, we've we've it's got 35 years of history of building out a schema that works for business applications. How long did it take you to get used to the new name because I still hear people call it NAV so <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not sure I'm used to it yet. It's <laughs> after uh, after using a name for years and years and years, it's tough to switch over. But yeah, yeah I, I don't I don't slip up as often as I used to. <laughs> I'm <not laughs> trying to trip you up now. Um, and so, in terms of getting started, you mentioned there's a website where, like, it's more of the product website. Mm-hmm. But there, as a developer, like, what's the biggest ramp to like? Can I sign up for a trial with? sample data in it or like what where's the best place to get going yeah if, if you go to that site the businesscentral.dynamics.com when you sign up for a trial tenant uh we we populate that tenant with uh with demo data uh so it's your cronus uh cronus company demo yeah, demo okay. database not contozo uh, bicycles or something we, we cronus has been around for decades yeah. i'm sure somebody has said at some point we got to switch over to fabricam or contoso or something but uh no it's still it's still cronus demo data um, so when you when you sign up for that demo database, uh, you get the demo data, uh, and, and you know, pr- pretty much full functionality uh, associated with it. So you can play around with it and see you know, what, what's this going to do for me as a developer. And it's I mean to get to Graph Explorer, there's a I'm assuming it's an Azure AD account still that you're signing in as the admin yes. to, and you call yep. the APIs. Yeah. So if you're and we we were talking earlier about demos.microsoft.com. If you're just yep. setting up a, a quick tenant, if you go and create a demos uh, just uh, an AAD tenant on demos.microsoft.com, that'll give you your AD, AAD tenant. And then when you go to businesscentral.dynamics.com, you can use that AAD tenant credentials to sign up for your oh, uh, to get for, the for your business demo central. Tenant. Yep. Uh, okay. So that'll that'll give you your. M365 or MOD or whatever account it is. Yeah. Just use that email address when you're signing up for your, your trial tenant, uh, and that'll give you your account to start playing around with. Yeah, and so the, the demos.microsoft.com is great for partners and um, us internally, but yeah. for other people, the Microsoft 365 dev program, mm-hmm. um, I've mentioned it a few times on the show, but now you can sign up and you get a 25 user tenant, and um, unlike in history where it expired after a year, as long as you're using that demo tenant, it'll actually renew itself every year as well now. So 
Um, cool. That's a great way of developers getting started if they're like not in a partner and completely external developer trying these things mm-hmm. out. So yeah, just go to, if you go to graph.microsoft.com and click programs in the top navigation, there's an option there to sign up for that developer program there. Cool. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually how I have my demo tenant is I've just signed up for a developer up. account. I've, I've had the same demo tenant for about uh, three and a half years now. Um, so you, you can use that developer account for the for the demo tenant. So, so in terms of getting that demo data and having all that accessible via the graph, um, obviously you're getting the benefits of having all the docs that we have and the SDKs lit up and so forth, which is different because I think you must be the first workload now that's been in beta where we have a beta graph SDK because when Teams was introduced on beta, there was no graph SDK available hmm. for the beta endpoint. So it's interesting. I mean, I have to look into see like what kind of adoption changes that made for a new workload that... You know, previously you'd have been giving out samples just with REST calls yeah. in HTTP request rather than kind of actually being able to use our graph client at all. Yeah, that, that's something that we still need to work on from our perspective of getting into that SDK and uh, yeah. getting those samples available. And then but we're excited um, to do that. In, in addition to that, like in terms of um, g- like getting started, do you have any canonical samples yet? I mean, I know like, we've been working with the with launching this in beta, but do you have any kind of like F5 rule things that people can go play with? We, we don't yet. Uh, that's something that we're working on. Yeah. Uh, it, we have, but we still have a lot of work ahead of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so some of the key things that we're working on, we're trying to get our API ready for V1.0 yeah. uh, out of beta. Uh, we're working on adding some of these additional entities into our, our list, like the, the sales invoices and other transactions and additional uh, reporting entities. Uh, so those, those should be coming soon. Uh, along with our move into v1.0 and uh, and building out these uh, SDKs and kind of we're, we're looking at the the hero app essentially mm-hmm. of can we build an app that really demonstrates well the the functionality and the abilities that you would have to build apps on our API yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just giving developers a, a starting point now we, we realize that any any hero app that we come up with it's you know, the, the greater developer community is going to be far more creative than what we can come up with just in our uh, yeah. you know, spitballing and creating applications in, in an office. Uh, but at least give it a, a starting point mm-hmm. uh, to give, you know, get, get minds generating on, uh, on what, the, what the opportunity is for building apps for Business Central. And so I'm guessing like you shipped um, three months ago. So you're kind of landing V1, trying to keep within that kind of building night window. So mm-hmm. October, November timeframe. But you've mentioned that you'll be shipping other beta APIs in that time period too. So that's interesting because some people, like the work guys we've had will kind of stop at what they've shipped on beta and get those to V1, then start on the next phase. Whereas you guys seem to be doing some parallelism here as well. Yeah, we're, we're hoping to get things out as fast as we can. Yeah. Uh, so we may do it in parallel, uh, but we, we still need to figure out our release schedule. Yeah, and that's uh, that's always a challenge. Just trying to figure out you know, how do you how do you release to the world. And then um, in addition to that, the whole notion of um, beta and V1. So like the rest of the graph, just to clarify, like it, it's not production supported yet because you may push out a change in into that API shape. So what's your guidance for partners right now that are looking to come into this business opportunity? Like. Is, is your API fairly baked and it what this, there won't be dramatic schema changes in the next six months? Or, you know, what's your percentage wiggle room there of yeah. someone taking a bite on this right now? No, that, that's, that's a good question. And the, the 
kind of the angle that we've taken on this, uh, and I kind of hinted at it earlier, is we wanted to start with uh, smaller, uh, a smaller property set for each of these. Yeah. And then if we do have any changes, it would be additive. Right. So we wouldn't be taking away any properties and, and breaking an app. Mm -hmm. uh, but as it is right now in beta, uh, we're, we're fairly certain that what is in beta now is what's going to go to V1. Okay. Uh, it's been it's been used by developers. Uh, we've had it in our own fixed endpoint for a while. Uh, some developers have been giving us feedback there as well. Now that it's in graph, uh, we open up to a, a larger development community on that and just getting additional feedback. So we, we expect that once we roll around to V2, we will have feedback where we can expand that out and, and make a a more impactful API set. But what we have now is, uh, it's a good set of APIs that's going to work for building a lot of applications. I, I like the approach of being more mindful and thoughtful of like the scenarios you're unlocking rather than just going, here's everything, go go crazy. Yeah. Because uh, it definitely gives you a little bit more room to grow and learn as you spin that way. Sure. Um, it's interesting the Intune kind of gone the other approach where their entire UI is driven by the Microsoft Graph. So everything you do in Intune, which is a lot, um, <laughs> there is an API endpoint there. And there are the majority of our docs. I think out of the last count, 6,700 pages of API reference, I think at least 3,500 is Intune. Wow. Um, but, you know, they've kind of pushed it out there because they had to because their product's completely driven off it. Like they totally took the first party, third party. Mm -hmm. um, and that was because they were, you know, net new in that sense. The interesting thing with you guys is like 35 years and yeah. you're not going to be able to do that yeah. just overnight. So I think this is the journey you have to be on and just learn as you learn as you go, as you unlock more scenarios for partners to go after. Yeah, it, it would have been a, a big challenge for us to follow yeah. that model. It would have been like 10 years later we've been having this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And so where's the right place for people to give feedback? Um, is it the Microsoft Graph? You, I'm pretty sure you'll have accounts on Microsoft Graph. Dot .usevoice .com. Yes, uh, and that's where we direct people to give feedback. Yeah. Uh, please go try it out and then give feedback on UserVoice. Uh, Business Central does have its own uh, ideas site yep. uh, that that uh, partners can use to provide feedback. And if 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 developers are already familiar with that site, go ahead and use it. But otherwise, the UserVoice for Microsoft Graph would be the place to go. Yeah, so SharePoint has their own like standalone UserVoice for their product and their legacy API, but anything to do with Microsoft Graph, they do on microsoftgraph.uservoice.com. So I suspect Graph developers will first go to the user voice, but as you say, you've got, if you've got an existing partner ecosystem, they're probably already familiar with your business yeah. central place to give feedback. Yep. So either place, we'll see the feedback and we'll react to it. That's awesome. And so um, if they have questions though, so not necessarily feedback, uh, is there a forum? Is it Stack Overflow? Like where's the best place that if someone's stuck with code that they could go ask those types of things? Yeah, they can go to Stack Overflow and just tag it with Microsoft Graph and that's a good way to, to get help on that. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, we've, we've, we're improving the tooling there for PMs. We've got a, a dashboard that's being built as one of our interns that's coming over the American summer um, to work on that will basically ingest the Stack Overflows and use ML to work out what product's being asked of in the stack question and then actually notify the PMs and even round robbing it if there's a bunch of PMs that can help. Cool. So we we're getting a little bit of flack for the answered rate on stack and so that's my top priority this next six month planning cycle. So that's good to hear that we'll be getting more stuff coming through from Business Central people as well. Yeah, we want to support our developers. Awesome. How can people get in contact with you? Are you on Twitter? Do you have a blog? You're on a new YouTube video that's coming out very shortly. <laughs> we do have YouTube videos. Uh, we do have a blog. 
for, for Business Central specifically, uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, at Jay Coleman Hall, J-C-O-L-E-M-A-N-H-A-L-L. Uh, LinkedIn, you know, how, however you want to get a hold of me personally, but so uh, we have uh, a great team that works on these uh, graph APIs and web services in general for Business Central. So uh, any way that you can find us online, uh, please get in touch with us. Awesome. Well, look, I appreciate your time. Thank you for carving out like a few hours now of graph time to help yeah, with all this fun. content. It's been a pleasure. But uh, it was nice to meet you in person as well because I know we've been working together a lot on uh, yeah. all email and so forth. And um, I'll make sure all of these links are in the show notes. If you go to www.m365devpodcast.com and um, please share this with everyone you know that has Business Central and wants to start using an API to make customers' experiences even better. So big thanks, mate, and um, we'll get you on come October when those things ship and we can talk about everything that's gone on. Yep, we're looking forward to it. Excellent. Thanks, mate. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. 